If you will, turn back in your Bibles to the little book of Micah. To the little book of Micah. Micah would be the way in which our Hebrew brothers in ancient times would have announced this prophet, Micah. We know him as Micah. He follows after Jonah, who follows after Amos. And uh, this is a little potent book for us. Micah is popularly known for three passages of scripture. One portion is in chapter 6, verse 8. A very popular and appropriately, let's say, politically saturated and savvy passage, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. You've heard it before. Take it to heart again as Micah utters these words. The Lord has shown you, O man, what is good. The Lord has shown you what is good. You have no excuse. He's shown you what is good. And what doth the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is a popular prophetic truth that has been conveniently employed uh, at the political level because it's appropriate. Mankind will never ultimately enjoy the benefits that God has for him until he learns how to do justice, love mercy, show it and love it, and walk humbly with his God. I know you agree with that. That triad, that, 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 that trifecta really is summed up in the person of Jesus. He loved righteousness, he loved mercy, and he walked humbly with our God, did he not? The other passage that Micah is very well known for is in the uh, seventh chapter, where he is closing out in verse 18 with these words. Who is a God like unto you that pardons iniquity, that passes by the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? He retains not his anger forever. Do you know that, child of God? And that's because God delights in mercy. Now notice when Micah said, this is what you're called to do, Oh man, because God has shown you delight in mercy like God delights in mercy. As we've been taught to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. So this last passage is so deeply and profoundly important. God pardons iniquity. He passes by the transgressions of his inheritance. He retains not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will turn again. That is, he will have solace. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all their sin into the depths of the sea. You will perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn unto our fathers from this days. Let me hurry up and hasten that this is a prophetic truth that was only fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. For who can forgive sins but the Lord? Who can pass by transgressions but the Lord Jesus Christ? Who can bring us into the delightment of his mercies but the one who hung on the cross for our sins. Did y'all get that? Extremely important. Two very, very profoundly important prophecies that our dear brother is known for 
And yet Micah is what I call a terse series of indictments against the nation of Israel for which you and I can learn a number of lessons. Yes, he has set forth a very prophetic uh, prophecy of popular attainment on the part of politics. Yes, he has laid out a promise of massive blessings in terms of the nature and character of God around his mercy and his kindness. Never forget that's only found in Christ. But also Micah has laid forth, as every faithful prophet does, indictments against the people, against the nation, against the kings and the rulers. Let me help you while you're listening to me. You do not hear from true prophets of God if all they ever do is endorse what the government says. You do not hear from faithful prophets if all they do is rubber stamp what the media says, what the government says. And Micah is a faithful prophet of God who has yielded in his utterances a beautiful promise given in Micah chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, which is where we're going to land as I walk you through the history. Listen to what he says. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem of Ephrata, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel's, who Israel, whose going forth is from everlasting to everlasting. This is the crown jewel in the whole depository of truth in the book of Micah. This is the, what we would call the diamond in the rough. This is the text you want to hold on to. This is what brings everything together. In other words, what Micah is saying to the nation of Israel and saying to every nation and to you and me, there is no peace apart from Christ. There is no peace to be had in a nation among a people where you reject the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's walk our way up to this text before we deal with and enjoy just an allusion to the one that we will be celebrating next week. Now, obviously, you see the title of our message it's very clearly laid out for us under our first point, if you will, because I don't have my bulletin in front of me. Our first point lays out. Uh, can I get our title, please? Because um, I'm dealing with something else. Micah, the crimes, the cross and the cradle. Y'all got that? That's your overarching thought today. If y'all can hold three things in your mind, you're going to be good for this hour. Micah's message first deals with the crimes of Israel. And then Micah comes through with the cross of Jesus. And then he closes with him in a very unique and very prophetic way, the birth of our Savior. Those are the three overarching things that I want us to deal with. Y'all got that? The crimes, the cross, and the cradle. That makes all the sense in the world to me. Think about it, sinner. There's no cross if there's no crime. And there's no cradle unless the one that's in it 
is willing to bear a cross to deal with our crimes. Did y'all get that? So what I'm going to be dealing with you on today is how to discern a faithful prophet from a false prophet. Because you and I are inundated with liars. And we're not used to men telling the truth for God. And you're going to get it today. And I hope it saves you from yourself. Because by nature, all of us are liars. And quite frankly, we like to listen to liars more than we do faithful prophets. Peace is what we celebrate when we think about our Savior. Is that not right? And precisely because he rules over it. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we quote it all the time. Isaiah 9, verse 6 lays out the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For unto us a child is what? That's his incarnation. That's the assumption of a human nature. But also unto us a son is given. That's his divine nature. That's him coming from eternity into time. Y'all got that? This is what we call the hypostases, the combination of God and man. It's the only hope of you and I really reaching the ultimate Imago Day, coming to that place where we can enjoy fellowship with God and rise above the iniquity of our heels, which would drag us down too. Notice what it says. And the government shall be upon his what? And his name shall be called Wonderful. That's one. That's not Wonderful Counselor. It's Wonderful. Please get that. It's not Wonderful Counselor. Look at that little semicolon. Y'all see that? It's in, first we call him Wonderful. That's what, that's, what, uh, that's what A.J. was saying in the, uh, in, the, in, in the opening of his meditation in Exodus 15, 1. The Lord is glorious in his triumph. He's glorious in his triumph. That, he ought to be glorious to you for all that he's done for you. And you, better, you ought to be willing to call him wonderful. It's a Hebrew term that means I cannot describe the fullness and essence of all that he is for us. A believer ought to be living in constant wonder of the beauties and splendors of Christ. That makes some sense. He's called wonderful and then he's called counselor and then he's called the mighty God. He's also called the everlasting father and he's summed up as the what? This is why we say there's no peace in the world apart from the peace that Christ grants. This is what we must understand. There's no peace in the world, no peace among people, no peace in relationships, no peace in the heart. Apart from him who made peace between us and God and brought that peace to. He said, my peace give I unto you. Not like the world gives it, give I unto you, right? In the world, you're going to have what? Troubles. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So when we talk about peace, this is where Micah is trying to get his people to come to. But before he can deal with peace, he has to deal with the problems of his people. And as we stated in our title, the crimes, the crimes, they're going to come under our first two points. And you and I are about to learn some things because remember what the spirit of God does. He takes history to show us the present. Y'all got that? He takes history to show us the present because the historical narrative has eternal verities in it that apply in every generation. Let me see if you can pick up on the eternal verities that are about to come out the text. Let me let me know whether or not you go. Oh, I see that. Point number one in our text. Point number one, the sin of stealing and oppression. 
the sin of stealing and oppression. This is the way Micah is compelled to introduce the indictments against Israel. Remember, I told you the Old Testament prophets are lawyers. And what they do is they come to the guilty party and lay out the plaintiff of God to the guilty party to let the guilty party know where they stand with God. Did y'all get that? That's what the prophets do. They come to the people of God. They come to the nation. They come to the king. They come to the governor. They come to the Senate. They come to Congress. They come to the mayor. They come and tell them, this is what God has shown you, old man, what you should be doing, especially when they're not doing it. And this is the nature of a true prophet. This is why I'm saying you're not hearing them today. So what, what Micah does are Mika, Mika is a contracted version of Micaiah. We'll meet Micaiah in a moment. It is an alternative version of the word Mikiel, from which we go what? Michael. And all three of them mean who is like God. This is the message that Micah, Mikiel, Micaiah is bringing to the people. Who is like God among us? What an ironic proposition, because all of God's people are to be representatives of God. But sometimes we act exactly opposite of God and particularly at the higher level of government authorities. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? So God is going to use this mighty prophet to come to the people and ask the question, which one among you wants to behave like me? So the first and foremost thing that Micah does when he opens up his uh, diatribe against them is to address the, the crime of the sin of stealing and oppression. Y'all got that? Look with me up chapter two, verses one through three. Here's how he goes. He says, woe to them. Now he's talking to the people of God. Micah is contemporary with Amos. He's contemporary with Isaiah and he's contemporary with Jeremiah, okay? Micah, Amos, Jeremiah. In fact, in a, another addition uh, uh, of the scriptures in the Septuagint, Micah comes after Isaiah because it deals with it in chronological order. I've taught you this before. You have the major prophets and the minor prophets. So the minor prophets are put by themselves and the major prophets are put by themselves, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. But that is not the chronological order. We'll leave that alone for a moment. These brothers were all preaching at the same time and some they were preaching a little bit before and others overlapping with them. This is why when you read Micah carefully, you see a lot of an allusion to the book of Isaiah. They use some of the same language, okay? Isaiah is dealing with the uh, two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and Micah is touching them too, but he's also up there with Hosea and Amos dealing with the 10 northern tribes from around 750 BC to about 720 BC. And what they have been warning the nation is that judgment is on the way. And the nation is not paying Isaiah no attention They're paying Jeremiah no attention. They're paying Micah no attention. And God's using these little power packs like Hosea and Amos. And I mean, they're dropping bombs. No pun intended, but there's an application here. And the people of Israel are not hearing it because the people of Israel are prospering. They are wealthy. They are prominent. They are bursting at the seams with potential. The problem is they got it through stealing and oppression. 
So just listen to the text. See, I told you we're going to be bringing it to the 21st century. Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their what? The Bible is so clear about this. Men, wicked men don't sleep until they figure out a plan on how to rip somebody off. Now raise that up, matriculate that all the way up to the highest governing powers in our world. If you guys are keeping up with me, those people don't sleep until they have schemed on how to trap everybody and bring them into the net of their own agendas. By the time you and I wake up, they have created another psychological, propositional, technological siege. Am I making some sense? All right, let me keep going because it's important for you to know. When the morning is light, they do what? They put it into practice. We'll talk about some of that in a moment because it is in their what? Power to do so. People have asked me before, Pastor, do they know what they're doing? I say, yes. Of course, the devil knows what he's doing because wicked men know what they're doing and they're, they're, they're in cahoots and uh, they are complicit in what they do and they do what they do and they do what they do arrogantly. Please hear me because they have the power to do it. I want you to get a hold of that because that's designed to humble you in the sense that if we know the wicked only do what they do because they have power to do it, then the only recourse we have, Brother Herman, is to go to one who has more power than them to overcome their power. Did that make some sense? Right. So, 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 so they do what they do because they have power. And this is the reason why you and I shouldn't be begging God for a lot of power. See, I want God to be the pilot and the co-pilot. I want him to be the one that handles my bank account and just gives me the portion I need every day. Give me this day my daily bread. And forgive me for my debts and my transgressions. See, because if I have all power, I'm probably going to be just as bad as them. But they're bad because they have an illusion that they're like God. Now, the Bible says all power belongs unto God. But if you listen to wicked men, wicked rulers, they talk like God. I will do my will. And this is what these systems and structures are doing. You hear it here. Michael wants you to know this is how they think. Look at the next verse with me. We got a ways to go, saints. Notice what it says in verse two. And they do what? Covet fields. Don't you see that going on all around the world? You know how you can covet fields? When you make the money to purchase it. When the monetary banking system can just dole out trillions of dollars and all you have to do is fly over the land you want and claim it and then buy it. Did y'all hear what I just stated? Listen to what he says. And they covet fields and then they take them by what? This is the whole history of the Western world and any set of dictatorial, tyrannical kingdoms wherever they spy out land. Not only do they go to spy it out and claim it, they use violence to take it. You're looking at that around the world today. You and I are byproducts of that after three, four, five hundred years. They have used this methodology to confiscate land. Am I making sense to you? All right, I will keep going. This is why people don't like the Bible talk, because when you open up that book, light shows up and it lets you know exactly what's going on. Here you are, imagine you sleeping in your little house. Micah speaks about it. Zechariah speaks about it. Isaiah speaks about it. Every man under his vine tree and under his fig tree. What that means is is when you and I walk with God and understand our inheritance, he gives us our portion. 
Now, he's not giving you 40 acres. You don't need 40 acres, but you could use one or two. Now, if you're humble enough and gifted enough, he might give you 40, but 40 is for you to bless somebody else. It's not for you to live on. You don't need 40 acres. But Bill Gates seemed to need 400 acres. Some of y'all get that in a moment. Y'all see what I'm getting at? So covetousness is what we're dealing with. And I need to drill home on that because you wonder what the driving mechanism is for these wicked men and wicked women and wicked systems. It's always covetousness. It's always covetousness. And they covet fields, take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they do what? Oppress a man and his house, even a man and his inheritance. Is that contemporary or what? The word of the Lord is right and all of his works are done in truth. This is why if you and I are not reading our Bibles carefully and having them properly expounded, you and I are wondering what's going on when we see it in the metaverse and we're not quite sure why it's happening. God has already told us. This is what wicked men do when they are given to covetousness. Did that make sense? Now, let's deal with that because that's extremely important. Under point number one, sub point A, covetousness is the absence of what? That makes sense, doesn't it? I want you to capture that we're doing a self-diagnosis around the, um, the, 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 the propensity for us to want to take somebody else's stuff. This is a self-diagnosis. The reason that you and I will be operating out of significant pathological levels of covetousness is because we're not operating in fullness. Listen to me. When a man is full, he doesn't want anything else. When a woman is full, they don't need anything else. When you and I are walking in fullness, we don't have a desire to take stuff from other people. And the Bible is very clear under this concept. Covetousness is the absence of what? It's the absence of fullness. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Colossians 3, 5 and 6 is going to lay this out for us, and then we're going to get the solution to it. So if all you can handle is point number one, you're going to get an answer to your covetousness. Listen to it. Paul said, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, that bring your body into subjection, because when you and I are operating out of an absence of fullness, we use our bodies and our minds for the wrong thing. When we are operating out of an absence of fullness, we use our passions and desires and longings for meaning in the wrong way. Now, notice what he says, fornication. See it? See, fornication is a fundamental fruit of covetousness. And what that means is it violates all of the necessary laws and methodology and protocol that would lead up to the blessing of conjugal relationships in the context of covenant. That's way too much work for the covetous person. The covetous person doesn't want to have to date somebody, figure out what kind of concessions you got to make, and then (laughs) sign on the dotted line for the rest of your life. Before you can have a little uh, emotional satisfaction, the covetous person is going to jump over all those rules because his heart is empty of fullness. Am I helping you? Let's keep going. He says fornication. Then he also says what? Uncleanness. 
And, and that is the society that you and I are in. And this is by design. This is by design. Uncleanness is by design. By design, you and I are being demoralized. By design, you and I are being deconstructed. By design, we are being broken up in terms of order. We are being imposed upon by chaos, are we not? And what chaos does is it moves you and I out of the healthy boundaries of the space that God calls us to into other places which are unclean places. When, when the pressure mounts and you and I don't have a resource to help us stay within our lane, we are pushed out into spaces and places that are unclean. Do I have to explain what I'm saying? Just say no, pastor, keep going. Right, because you should know this. All I'm trying to do is overcome your own inclination to a bias not to believe you are in danger of the same thing. Because you are. Our whole media, our whole entertainment system, our whole propaganda system is to push you out of your boundaries into a space where you are demoralized because you're contaminated by wrong choices. Okay, uncleanness, inordinate affection. This is where we are today. This is why we're putting it in textbooks. This is why we're creating whole theses. This is why we're framing all kinds of policies because we want to be weird and obtuse. Say, Pastor, tell me what you mean. I will if you need me to. Do I need to tell you what I mean? Because we're weird today. We're weird today. You know, long, long ago, long ago, weird was something we all knew. Because weird was unusual. Weird was, you know, uh, 10% of 1%. You know, every now and then you ran across some, somebody weird. And, and, and we loved on them because they were only 10% of 1%. So they weren't a threat. But now today, you know, it's 20%. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Let me keep going there. Okay, and that's a consequence of inordinate affections. I can be here a long time. Jesse, hurry up and get to your point. The point is the adversary has been able to penetrate our minds and our hearts and take us into captivity as a covetous system of stealing. See, stealing is not just material property. Stealing is identity. Stealing of your identity. Stealing of your capacity to self-reflect. Stealing of your need to understand who you are in the sight of God. Stealing your time. Stealing your resources. Bringing you into captivity and telling you are something that you are not. And, 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 and then you and I, because of the trauma of this kind of warfare, are impacted at the psychological level. And now our affections, our affections, which should be healthy, are are, are, are now uh, inordinate. Does that follow? Yes. Here it is. Not only are they inordinate affections, evil concupiscences are, is really a synonym to the same thing. I'm sorry for those of you who are new at Grace. Uh, we use some of these old Saxon terms. Evil concupiscences sounds like, you know, a meal or some a bad food that you might eat. But, but all it means is that you and I are bent on certain kinds of evils and they continue to prevail until God liberates you by the grace and mercy of Christ. Does that make sense? But today the problem with it is because of propaganda, the evil concupiscences are said to be good. And walking orderly and with some structure and hierarchical principles and respect and boundaries is said to be evil. We're turning things upside down. And this is what happens when you and I are driven by, what does it say? Covetousness, which is what? Covetousness, which is what? There it is. Stay with me, because that's the whole first chapter of the book of Micah. The whole first chapter of the book of Micah is warning 
Israel about its covetousness. And of course, God is the one speaking. Look at chapter one, verse five through seven. Here it is explicitly. We will be moving, but listen to what God is saying. He says in, I'm sorry, this is Micah chapter one, verse five, please. Micah chapter one, verse five. For the transgression of Jacob, all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel, what is the transgression of Jacob? Notice what the prophet is doing as he's talking to the people. He's raising the question. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? Now, Samaria is up in the 10 northern tribes, the Israel tribe. It would be like the capital of the 10 northern tribes. The two southern tribes are at the bottom, okay, of the land of Israel. And notice what it says is not Samaria, the transgression of Jacob. And what are the high places of what? Are they not Jerusalem? Do you see the paradox? Do you see the oxymoronic language? Because what Micah is saying is up in the 10 northern tribes, Samaria is the capital. It is the metropolis. It's the place where massive idolatry is being practiced, where all the pagan gods are being worshipped. Ashtoreth and Molech and all of them are being worshipped up in the big part of Israel. Now, down in the two southern tribes where God should be honored at Jerusalem, Notice what he says, high places. Do y'all see your Bible? I'm trying to help you to understand. Here's what, what Micah is saying. When you and I are driven by covetousness, we are idolaters. Idolatry is the end game of the inordinate passion of covetousness. When you are driven by covetousness, you will worship other things as if they are God. And that's what the text is saying. Are they not the high places of Jerusalem? How is it that Jerusalem has high places? It's when you conflate religion with paganism. When you bring together true religion and allow it to coexist with false religion so that it actually corrupts the true system. And I'm going to make it more plain here in a moment. But look at the next two verses. Look at verse six. Notice what he says. Therefore, I will make Samaria a what? Heap of a field. What does that mean? He's about to destroy it. A heap of a field is when you take something that is orderly, cultured, profitable, structural, and just turn it into a heap. It's the idea of leveling it. It's the idea of disrupting it. It's going to be a heap. It's going to be no good. This is what God is saying. I'll turn it into a heap as plantings of of the vineyard, and I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. People that know anything about agriculture or development or uh, building projects, you got to level a land before you build back on it. And what God is saying is, I'm going to level Israel. I'm going to level Israel. I'm getting ready to use a term that's going to be popular to us who are studying very carefully what's going on in the Middle East. It's going to come up because what the enemy loves to do is take God's principles and accrue them to himself because that's what it means to play God. So we're going there. I'm just letting you know. Look at verse seven. Notice what it says in verse seven. And all the graven what? All the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces and all the hires thereof shall be burned with fire and all the idols thereof will I lay desolate. God is saying I'm coming in and actually purging the place. Y'all got that? Because the vision is that of the whole land being riddled with idols from the top of the mountains down into the valley. And what God is going to do is get rid of all the what? Idols and all the idol worshipers. Y'all got that? This here is called theological apostate cleansing, the cleansing of idols, the cleansing 
of idols versus the cleansing of people. That'll come home in a minute. You need to be thinking. Okay, here's what he says there. And I will lay it desolate for she gathered it of the hire of a harlot. Who is she? Israel. Israel is understood as a female because God in the Old Testament is married to her. Right. I have married you, but you have become a backsliding heifer. Right. You have become a harlot. We know that term is a prominent term for Israel when Israel becomes unfaithful to God and starts serving other gods. Y'all got that? Now watch what he says here. I want you to get it. Watch what he says. I will lay it desolate because she has gathered all her resources, all her accolades, all her blessings by whoredoms. Now, notice what he says here. She's gathered it by whoredoms and they shall return to the hire of the what? The person in which they engaged in the harlotries. What is that, pastor? The other pagan nations. Israel loved to be like the other pagan nations and sell themselves to Egypt and sell themselves to Assyria and sell themselves to other nations. Y'all got that? And so here's what God is saying. You are the harlot and all of these resources you got, you're going to have to give them back to your John. You're going to have to give them back to the nations that you allowed to enter into you, plunder you, defile you when I was your husband. Am I making some sense? Almost all Torah knowledgeable Jews know what I'm talking about. And you Christians ought to know better than them. So let me keep going because it's important. What Mike is talking about is the consequences of covetousness, which Paul told us in Colossians 3 is what? Idolatry. Now, let me give you the solution before we go on to our next stop. Covetousness is the absence of what? Fullness. Covetousness is when you and I are bankrupt of substance in the area of our personhood, our dignity, our calling, our gifting and our resourcing. You and I cannot make it on our own. We need God constantly pouring into us. So Colossians chapter two tells us very clearly in Colossians chapter two, verse nine. This is what God says concerning our master for in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Do you guys see that? So now Mike has already told us that in chapter five, verse two, he said that he said the fullness is coming. He already told us that, right? The fullness is coming. This is the baby we're going to celebrate next week. Is that not right? Notice what, what, what Paul says in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What does that mean? Jesus is the source of the blessings for the people of God in every aspect of their life. Jesus is the one that can bring you satisfaction, that can bring you clarity, that can bring you understanding, that can ground you in a right relationship with God, that can forgive you of your sins, that can give you an understanding, that can bring you into purpose and calling. I'm going to say it again, just in case you don't get it. Without me, you can do nothing. Are you hearing me, child of God? So now God is gracious to all of us. You know what he'll let you do? He'll let you run flat out of gas. Pray for me. He'll let you run flat out of gas. Please listen to me because we love running on our own energy because when we have the outcome we want, want, we can own the glory. We love waking up with our plans and schemes and our goals and our agendas, but we won't give the God that woke us up credit for keeping us and guiding us and resourcing us and opening doors 
and blessing our efforts. So that's like driving a car on a tank of gas and you know you got to go 800 miles, but the tank only takes you 300 miles. And then you get to 300 miles and you act like you're not out of gas. You on fumes. And then all of a sudden your car stops in the middle of the road and you go, what happened? You been trying to do it in your own strength. He is the fullness of God. And notice what the next verse says. Look at the next verse. And you are complete in him. Did you get that? My fullness, my sufficiency, my total satisfaction, my adequacy, my sustained adequacy comes in my relationship with Christ. He is my bread of life. He is my water of life. He is my light. He is my strength. He is my guide. Christ is all these things. Didn't we just sing it? Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my strength, my all. See, we just be singing it. Then we go out the door and then we're doing it in our own strength. Am I making some sense? And so Micah is addressing, it, addressing Israel's rebellion. And notice what he says over in point, subpoint B. We've already covered covetousness is the absence of fullness. You do agree with that, right? Covetousness is the absence of fullness. And when you and I are not operating out of that, we'll resort to stealing in some kind of way. Identity, property, land, bank account, souls. We always end up ripping somebody off when we are not walking in our fullness. You get that, right? But that makes us like the devil because the devil comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. And I don't want to be on his team. Subpoint B is really, really important. Now, they are spoiled in the way in which Micah says it because they have what? Spoiled. Now, look at chapter 2, verse 8 through 10 of Micah. Micah's going to get at them. Even of late, my people have risen up as a what? All right, so let me help you. Who are their enemy against? God. Their own God. We'll see that when we get to our third point. Now, isn't this crazy that you can be the people of God and behave as if God is your enemy? That's the legacy of your whole Bible. Did y'all get that? This is amazing, right? That God graced you, brought you to be what you are. And then all of a sudden you're living in rebellion against him. Whosoever is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Remember what I told you in the opening of the message? I told you. You very seldom hear a faithful prophet because unfaithful prophets endorse government. Unfaithful prophets echo and ape the mantra of the world because unfaithful prophets want to deceive the masses into thinking that what the world says is good is to be good for you, too. I'll develop that a little further, but I wanted to bring that home because you don't have faithful prophets holding your government account for the wickedness that it does. But Micah is doing that here. Listen to what it says in verse 8 through 10. He says, of late, my people have become an enemy. You pull off the road. What does that mean? He again is talking about stealing from somebody. They're walking down the street with their garments and you go and snatch it out of them. Y'all keeping up with me? Right. I want you to get it. You can do it as an out and out thug robbing people because that's what goes on when your culture turns into Gotham City like mine is today. My culture is Gotham City. And wherever you go, you got to watch out for the fool that wants to snatch the garment off your back. 
But this is not by accident. This is a consequence of the matriculation down of government policies. This is the demoralization of our culture, turning it into chaos. And now everybody is operating out of the desperation of emptiness in their soul. They can't wait till you get in your car. They can't wait till you come out of your car and they snatch it from you. But see, Micah is not only talking about the thug on the street. He's talking about the thug in these institutions that get us by policies. Am I making some sense? Yes. They snatch your garments. This is why I love Jesus, because Jesus and John said it plain. John called them snakes. You brood of vipers. And Jesus said, you are ravening wolves. You love to devour widows' houses. Same point is rooted in covetousness. Now, he's talking about the government. Jesus was talking about the government. John was talking to the government. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Wouldn't our world be different if our faithful churches were holding our government accountable every time they climbed in the pulpit? Because the church would be shaping the consciousness of society to see our government for what it really is. Our rulers for what they really are. Am I making some sense? Now, you're going to see that there are consequences for Micah for doing that. But look with me over at verse uh, nine again. They take away, they take the, uh, verse eight, they take the robe from them and then they pass by secretly as men averse from what? They pass by secretly as men averse from war. The women of my people you have cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children have you taken away my glory forever. And here's what Micah says. Arise ye and depart for this is not your rest because it's polluted. It shall destroy you even with a sore destruction. Do you see that? Again, I'm I'm tempted to want to do more exegesis on that. But it's very clear when you and I have policies that keep taking things from people, we are destroying God's glory in them. And what he just talked about was stealing the right of children to grow up in a safe environment so they can reach their fullest potential and bring glory to God. You can make criminals out of people by oppression and stealing. You can make criminals out of people by oppression and stealing. You can teach the children to be animals from their youth by oppression and stealing. These are psyops that have been going on for decades upon decades across the world, and they are happening in our world today. And we don't want to believe that our society is being corrupted from the top down and then from the bottom up, but it is. And you and I have to ask the question whether we're complicit in it. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Can I keep going? So look at the last point. Uh, look at this point. Uh, so point B, they have spoiled because they themselves have been spoiled. Notice what it says in sub point C. He cursed them. This is God cursing Israel. He cursed them with false prophets who lie. Now, we got to work this through. We're headed to chapter five. See that beautiful hallmark card scenario we have around the birth of Jesus. You, you can't really appreciate the birth of Jesus unless you understand the darkness from which that light draws you. And notice what is taking place, because I want you to get this last point. He curses them with false prophets who do what? Now, and I'm going to drill this down a little bit. Can I work this out a little bit? Because I want to make it contemporary to you and me, because I, I know my people, most of the people who profess to be Christians in Western culture don't believe what I'm about to say. Because of the efficacy and power of propaganda. 
because lies do work. But I want you to hear how Micah contends with them. I want you to see it. Notice what it says over in verse 11. This is what Micah is going to teach us. Micah says, if a man walking in the spirit and what? Falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink. He shall even be the prophet of this people. Y'all got that? Stay with me because, again, I told you he's echoing Isaiah. Isaiah called them drunkards of Ephraim. Isaiah called them drunkards of Ephraim. Notice what he said. If a prophet is walking in the spirit of falsehood and lies, he's going to promise you perpetual, unending, unmitigated blessing. He's going to promise you seasons of blessings which are signified by wine and strong drink, enjoying life, enjoying prosperity. All of us know the symbol of prosperity and blessing is the fruit of the vine. All of us know that the symbol of affluence and wealth and prominence is a good porterhouse steak with a wonderful glass of wine. We know that. All of us know that prominence leads to um, the, the abundance and excess of exuberance from having the capacity to have you a fine bottle of wine, a fine bottle of champagne, and some really good cognac. Stop and listen to me. Will you listen to me? What he's saying is prosperity without God destroys you because you turn your body into the object of idolatry and you consume the blessings of the flesh until it destroys your capacity to walk in righteousness. And all you want to do now is be inebriated and have a party because you can eat and drink, say they, for tomorrow we die. Am I making some sense? And I'm telling you what Micah is doing now is putting the spotlight on the wicked rulers in his, co- his culture, as John the Baptist did, as Jesus did, as Isaiah did, as Jeremiah did. And it's important for you and I to know this. Now, notice what he says over in verse six. I'm going to help you. Notice what Micah is going to teach us. And we've got to walk through this. I'll start at verse five. Therefore, you shall have none that shall cast a cord by lot. In the congregation of the Lord, the Lord has just finished saying that he's going to punish Israel. A line being cast in the uh, lot is the idea of people receiving inheritance. That was the lot that was cast in uh, Joshua, that you would receive inheritance. The promise was if you serve God right and properly, you can receive the blessing of your inheritance. What God said here is that line is going to stop. No more cords because we are now in the what? Take away. Did y'all hear me? We're in the takeaway. So you're not going to see the blessing that comes out of obedience. Remember what the Bible says, whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. If you and I are stealing, stealing is going to come to us. And this is what God says, particularly when you steal from God. If you steal God's glory from him, he's going to take from you glory and honor. God's going to cut off your capacity to prosper because you're stealing rather than submitting to God. This is what he told Israel, particularly under the old covenant. Remember the rule under the old covenant. If you depart from me and worship other gods, I will take this land away from you and send you far away. Y'all got that? I don't need to go over that. Don't have time. I just want you to understand the rules. 
These rules have universal application. And notice what happens in verse six. Here's the reason. Prophesy ye not, say they. Don't prophesy, say they. Prophesy ye not, say they, to them that prophesy. They shall not prophesy to them. They shall not take shame. Do you see it? Listen to what he's saying. The people are saying, don't tell us what God has to say. Prophesy not to us. Prophesy not to us. Because if you prophesy to us the truth, you're going to put us to shame. This is what I told you that Isaiah laid this out very clear. Isaiah is saying the same thing that this brother is saying as well. You heard Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 10 through 12. Listen to Isaiah 56, 10 through 12. I want you to get it now. And I want you to ask the question. Do we have the free course of prophecy of divine truth taking place in our country? Can you cut the radio and hear the truth everywhere? Do you hear the prophetic word addressing the crimes of our nation, the crimes of our leaders from a biblical context? Do you hear preachers holding them accountable to the word of the living God? Because government is is brought into being by God. They are obligated to do God's will. And when they don't do God's will, God's servants have to say, hey, Congress is not doing God's will. The Senate is not doing God's will. The administration is not doing God's will. And because they're not doing God's will, we must speak out against the crimes against our society. That's the role of the prophet. That's why they didn't like John the Baptist. That's why they didn't like the Lord Jesus. That's why they didn't like Isaiah. That's why they didn't like Jeremiah. And all of these men I just noted experienced the same plight. Do you know what that is? Don't prophesy to us or we will kill you. I'm going somewhere. Can y'all keep up with me? It's important for you to know. Notice what he says. His watchmen are what? This is my argument and indictment against the church in America. We talk about all kind of cute things. You can go on the radio and hear wonderful messages about, you know, how to have a wonderful life and, you know, how to have your family blessed and how to do this and how to do that. All that's fine, therapeutic, scriptural truth that really amounts to a kind of preoccupation with our narcissism. This is medication of the flesh. It is not the prophetic word dealing with us at the national level or the global level as a representative of the crown rights of King Jesus. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? His rulers are therefore blind. I mean, I could be here a long time talking about that the blindness is willing. It's, it's, it's willing. It's a willing blindness on the part of our preachers. They do not want to talk about what the prophets say. Okay, because they are so intricately tied into the monetary system and the benefits that come through that monetary system. If you talk like the Bible talks, you'll have it cut off from you. You'll have your ministry shut down. It'll be minimized. They will censor you. They will quarantine you. They will see to it that you don't have reach because the enemy knows that words matter. This is a word warfare. Listen. His watchmen are blind. They're all ignorant. They are dumb dogs. They cannot bark. That's because they took the blue pill. 
sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Next verse, verse 11. Yea, they are greedy dogs. We just elucidated that in the concept of covetousness, didn't we? Jesus called them ravening wolves, devouring widows' houses. That's what Jesus said. They are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his gain from his quarter. And our country has taught us in an erroneous way that to be a blessed pastor is to have 10,000 members and have an international radio ministry. Did y'all hear what I just stated? It does not matter what they're preaching. All people are looking for is an effect, an outcome, a, an expression, a, 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 a picture of massive auditoriums of people coming in droves. He must be telling the truth. But the Bible is clear. Broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there be that go thereon. Am I making some sense? Am I making sense? Please listen to me. The vast majority of these pastors that you listen to sound good. Their words are sweeter than bunny, a honey, and they are smoother than butter. But poison is in their doctrines. And it's very clear how to set the litmus test. Watch one more time. I know this is going to be odd ad nauseum, but I want you to get it. If they sound like the government, they are wicked. If they affirm and adore, endorse everything the government is doing, whenever the government does it, they are hirelings. I don't care if they're on the left or the right. I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat. They are wicked prophets. Did y'all hear what I just stated? So the next time you watch them, because you enjoy watching them, blink and remember what I said. And watch carefully what they say. And I told you last week, if you don't have enough uh, brain matter to hold several concepts together, simply ask one question. Where is Jesus in it? Because if Jesus is not in it, you're being lied to. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It's written of me to do thy will, O Lord. I delight to do thy will. We're not preaching Christ as a sovereign Lord that encompasses everything, rules and tells us how to live. You are being lied to. I promise you that. I need to walk you through the curse that God brings upon a nation when we say, I don't want to hear the truth. I need you. I need us to walk through it. Every man looking to his own way, everyone for his own game from his own quarter. A number of us know this kind of disease and rot in the ministry. We know this disease and rot. I'm far from it after 40 years, but I know it. I know this disease and rot. I'm so glad God graced me not to fall prey for it because there ain't no peace in that system. It's filled with not only covetousness, but wretched, wretched, abominable, unspeakable immorality. And today, even in the Christian church, Baphomet is emerging as the central object of worship. No shame in their game. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? 
No shame in their game. And this runs all the way through the institutions, all the way through the music industry, everywhere they're worshiping that false God. And they will easily put Jesus' name on the end of it. And they expect you to buy it. This is nothing but neo-apostate Judaism. This is what Israel did over and over and over again. This is called syncretism, all right? This is loving the world, loving mammon, and trying to love God too. You can't have it both ways. I'm making sense. Let me walk through this. What do I mean by the spirit of falsehood and lies? 1 Kings 22, verse 10 through 12 where we're going to meet another Micah, another Micah. His name is Micaiah. That's the protracted version of Micah. And I told you they both mean who is God. This is the time when Ahab and Jehoshaphat, the kings of Israel and Judah, are in affinity, which is wrong, but they did it. And and Ahab had sat in council and had hundreds of prophets all around him in his Senate meeting. Because he wants to go to war. I already told you. One of the evidences that also that you are a wicked religious system is you are a war-mongering system. When you are a war-mongering system, it's because war is the engine for taking things from other people. We just read it in Micah. They did it because they have the power to do it. The power is not just the intellectual capacity. That's there. Technology is massive today. Technology is used for the first strategy of warfare, which is propaganda. But the second strategy of warfare is war. Because you propagandize, then you go to war, and by the war, you plunder and take. Are you hearing me? And when the church makes an affinity with the state, that's beast one and beast two. Politics and religion is always a horrible criminal animal working together in tandem to hoodwink you into endorsing the evil of government. Am I making some sense? And the king of Israel, that's Ahab, and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on the throne, having put their robes on in an empty place, broad place in the entrance of the gate of what? The very place that God is damning under the preaching of Micah. Y'all got that? Y'all got time for me? Listen to it. Listen to it. Having put on their robes and a voice. Now they're in full regalia. Two kings, 10 northern tribes, two southern tribes, all together now. This here is your, this here is a foreshadow of your ecumenical religion. The left and the uh, liberal religion is coming together now with the pseudo fake conservative religion. The left liberal religion with all of its secular ideology is now coming together with the pseudo right wing religion. Did y'all hear what I just said? They are coming together so that they can have a conglomerate to make war. I've been preaching this for decades. Raise your hand if you heard me say this before. So if you're ignorant, you just haven't listened to me. I've been teaching this on the radio for years. The left-right narrative in politics and the left-right narrative in religion is a hoodwinking system. And it's designed to get narrow, small-minded people who are party spirit people. When you trap by a party spirit, you can't break out of that framing to see that it's designed to hoodwink you and take you in a direction that it wants to go. I'm making some sense, am I not? Stay with me. Listen to it. This is a the, what's about to take place is the correlation between a historical event 
and a trans vision narrative on the part of the prophet that's going to teach us something about spiritual warfare. And I want you to get it. I want you to get it. Notice what he says. He says, avoid place in the entrance of the gate of Samaria and all the prophets prophesy before them. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? You got the president sitting there, vice president, Congress, okay, and got all the preachers there. Name them all. Name any of them. All of them at the White House. Now, I want you to imagine what they're about to say. Can you imagine them saying, hey, Biden, Trump, y'all going to hell. Can you imagine them saying that? You guys are covetous warmongers. You're thieves. Your monetary systems are ripping people off. You're setting people up for slavery. Can you imagine them telling them that? No. Here it goes. Look at the next verse. And, the key, uh, and Zedekiah, the son of Chenea, made himself horns of iron. This is a preacher. He, he got enough money to put on a, a fantastic show. He got horns of iron, okay? He getting ready to do a magic trick in front of the king. This is the kind of religious television Christians love to watch because it's good. It's a lust of the eye. Am I making sense? Man, look at the lights. Look at the auditorium. Look at the numbers. Look at the glitter. Look at all the Hollywood stars coming. Look at the entertainers coming. Boy, I know that God is blessing them. Now, I want you to hear it here. And Zedekiah said, uh, Chenaiah made him horns of iron. He said, thus saith the Lord, with these shall you push the Syrians until you have consumed them. What is the word coming out of this prophetic image? You shall triumph. You will have victory. You will have peace. Ahab, do whatever you want. The Lord is on your side. Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. And all the prophets prophesied saying, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper. There's your word. If that word hasn't been stretched out in a thousand different ways and prosper, the Lord prosper you. The Lord bless you. The Lord make you the head and not the tail. You guys have heard it, haven't you? And all of them are saying the same thing. For the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. Now, let me ask you a question before we go on in the story. Do you think they were telling the truth? Do you think they were telling the truth? They all are saying that the government is right. And the government can do whatever it wants to do. And God will bless the government because God is the handmaiden to the government. Whatever the government wants to do, God's going to bless. Y'all got that? Why? Because you are special before God. You, you are God's servants. God will do whatever you want to do. These are all the prophets speaking. It's extremely important for you and I to see this. Look over at verse 15 because uh, Ahab been here before. And uh, there's his brother that's a soul lone ranger. His name is Micah, Micaiah. Every time Ahab asks Micaiah what's going on, Micaiah tells him the truth. Now, Ahab and Jehoshaphat would have ran with this word that came from all these prophets, and there were hundreds of them. We know that because Ahab's wife was an idolater too, and they had at least 850 false prophets. Do y'all understand what I just, hundreds of false prophets. I'm going to tell you who they are in a moment so you can know the contemporary application, and you need to hear it. Hundreds of them, but there's this one brother Notice what it says here, because I want to jump past it for time. Uh, Jehoshaphat said, now Jehoshaphat's a true believer, 
but he's the most non-discerning true believer you could ever have. You don't ever want to go to war with him. He's the kind of non-discerning true believer you want to keep back with the stuff. If you got to go to war, don't go to war with a non-discerning believer. Can I tell you why? Because the non-discerning believer does not have their priorities right. The non-discerning believer is wrapped up in their emotions. See, Jehoshaphat said because Ahab was his cousin that they could hang out together. Will you listen to me? We all cousins. That's right. We all cousins. Okay, we all cousins. Okay, I mean, we cousins with Hitler. We cousins with Mussolini. We all cousins. That don't give you grounds to hang out. See, this is what I mean by Jehoshaphat saying, I just want to love everybody. And since Ahab is the big dog up in the liberal church and I'm the big dog in the conservative church, let's just come together. I am prophesying to you. I am prophesying to you. It's coming together as I speak. Okay, do you hear me? Right now, there is a pseudo conflict between the right and the left over the issue that's going on now. But that's going to actually come to a resolve in a minute and they gonna all be on the same page. Stay with me. Stay with me because you want to be able to see through this. This is called the fog of war. We're in the fog of war. Negotiations are taking place. Warfare always shakes people up, disrupts you and then puts you on sides. Okay. And notice what he goes on to say. So he came to the king and he said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we forbear? And he answered him and said, go and prosper for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. (laughs) Micaiah said the same thing they said. Now look at the next verse. Notice what it says. And the king said unto him, how many times have I adjured you that you tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? Which means Ahab knew that all the other prophets were lying. Here Micah now is saying the same thing they're saying because he's being ironic and giving in to them for a purpose. Next verse, I want you to see how this walks itself out. And he said, this is Micah, are y'all ready? And he said, okay, since you want the truth, here it is. I saw all of Israel scattered upon the hill. Stop. That, that means they are metaphorized as what? Sheep. And that's what people are, sheeple. I saw all of Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that do not have a shepherd. That prophecy was a death sentence against Ahab. Did y'all get that? Since you want to tell me the truth, Ahab, you deader than a goose shot through with an arrow. You're dead. And the people of Israel are without a shepherd. Notice what he says. As sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in what? Next verse. That means that Ahab's going to lose the war. Y'all got that? But all the other prophets said, go, you're going to prosper. You're going to have peace and prosperity. You're going to triumph and victor. This is where we are in our world today. Do y'all hear me? This is where we are. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? And all he's doing is projecting. Ahab is projecting because Ahab is vilely wicked. And all Micaiah is doing is telling him what he really is. 
And, and Ahab can't get away. He can't extricate himself from the reality that he's a vile man, even though he has hundreds of false prophets telling him he's going to victor. His conscience won't let him believe that lie. Now, not, notice what it goes on to say, verse 19. I want you to, I want to walk this through the account. And he said, hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. This is Micaiah. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. Is the Lord on his throne? And all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand on the left. This is called a divine senate. This is like in any imperial kingdom where the king sits and all the dignitaries are around him. Only this is the king of glory in heaven and the dignitary are all the host of the angels. Did y'all hear me? I want to make a categorical distinction for a moment. All the host of the angels and devils under sovereign Jehovah. Sovereign Jehovah runs the universe. He's the king of glory and a devil can't do anything without the permission of the sovereign Lord. Y'all got that? Now hear me now, this is important because too many of y'all buy into false religion that makes the devil as powerful as God and nothing could be further from the truth. So the vision Micah is giving you, first of all, is a comforting word that God is in control, even though it doesn't look like it on the ground, even though it looks like Israel is about to make a major mistake. Judah is about to make a major mistake. They're going to go into battle and they're going to lose. God's going to be in that. He's going to let them lose because they have bought into lies rather than the truth. It's going to look like everywhere in all the newspapers. That Israel has all the arsenal, all of the apparatus, all of the bombs, all of the material, all of the technology to win that battle. They're going to win. They're going to. And then all of a sudden they lose. 21st century. Listen carefully. And all the hosts of heaven standing on the right hand and on the left. Verse 20. It's important. Let's keep it moving. Here it is. And the Lord said, who shall persuade Ahab? See, Ahab needs to be persuaded, doesn't he? So really what's going on here, just in case you don't know, is heaven is dictating what's going on on the earth. So what you and I have just read was the earthly account. What Micah is now saying is heaven has already determined that Ahab would be deceived and go to war. Did y'all get that? Now, how is Ahab going to be deceived to go to war? A lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. Here it is. Listen to it. Notice the Lord said, who shall persuade him that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner and another said on that manner. This is the picture of God having counsel with his angels. Now, this is an anthropomorphic analogy. God doesn't have to ask the angels for nothing. But this is for you and I to know that the heavens do rule over the kingdoms of men and the kingdoms of men are modeled after God's monarchical rule. Are y'all following me? Notice what he goes on to say. And another said this, another said that. Verse 21. We got a little time. Let's keep going. And there came forth a spirit. And I love this because the term spirit is a a neutral term. It does not constitute a good angel or bad angel. It's a neutral term. Y'all got that? But obviously he's going to be a wicked angel submitting to the authority of God to be allowed by God to deceive men. Y'all keeping up with me? All right, let's keep going. Notice. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will what? Two times. Who will persuade him? I will persuade him. The Hebrew term there means to deceive. 
Who will deceive him? I will deceive him. I'm here to tell you this same activity is happening in spiritual dimensions and in high places and in government right now among us. People in high places are being deceived and they're being deceived by lying spirits. Are y'all hearing me? Listen, doctrines of devils. Here's what the next verse says. I want you to capture it before I go. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith? And he says, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of a few of his prophets. So every time you watch one of those crooks smiling with perfect teeth, ask the question, is he endorsing the government? Is he echoing what the sentiments of the society are saying? Is he preaching a false peace? Because Jeremiah said it in echo of Micaiah. If they come preaching peace, it's probably not the Lord. Every prophet that said peace, peace, when the Lord has not given peace, is not from the Lord. And I'm telling you, that's what you're dealing with today. Are y'all hearing me? May I keep going? Listen to what he says. The Lord said, wherewith? He says, I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And he said, you shall persuade him. In other words, God granted him authority to do it. And when God grants the devil authority to do it, he's going to deceive you. The outcome is going to be that Ahab goes to war. You and I know the story. Ahab is going to be killed. And the account is masterful because he's going to try to hide and let brother Jehoshaphat, the dumb, silly Christian, be in the front. I should not do this. I should not do this. I should not make an application. I should not do this. I should not do this. So, I, so I've been saying on my Monday show, I don't know which one is the ass and which one is Balaam. I don't know which one is Balaam and I don't know which one is that. I don't know if our government is Balaam and Israel is the ass or whether or not our government is the ass and Israel is Balaam. But that's Ahola and Aholabah. I taught y'all this years ago. They're tied at the hip. I know some people go be mad. They should. They should. Because Israel can do no wrong. But you also know America can do no wrong. Please. Stay with me. If you're scared, you can get up and leave now. When was the last time your government stood up and said, you know what, I lied to you. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I've been lying to you my whole, my whole term. In fact, I was lying to you 40 years back when I was in the Senate and Congress. You know what? I'm nothing but a liar. When the last time your government just told you that, right? They never lie. And when they get caught lying, they never confess. And that's because a lying spirit dominates our leadership and our government. Are y'all keeping up with me? I'm not done. I want to drive this home. It's very important for you to capture. What happened to our dear brother Micaiah is sad, but it's necessary for you and I to capture. Look at verse 23. Verse 23. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets, and the Lord has spoken evil concerning you. Whoa, when the last time you heard a preacher talking like that? The next verse. Let me walk you through what happens to preachers when they tell the truth, which is why they don't do it. Here it is. But Zedekiah, the son of Chenea, the one that had the big old show, he went near and smote Micaiah on the what? This is an allusion to the ruler in Micaiah chapter, Micah chapter 5, verse 1, and they shall smite the ruler. Who is Micaiah here a type of? 
Jesus smote him on the cheek and said, which way went the spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto you? Okay, I got to give it to you. See, this fool is walking in power too. He's not walking in humility. This man, Zedekiah, is walking in power. You know what he's doing? He's smiting. He's smiting. Power is smiting. Power is smiting. See, he's not walking in wisdom because wisdom doesn't have to smite. All wisdom has to do is talk. He's not walking in humility because humility, all it needs to do is stand still and behold the salvation of the Lord. But see, he's part of the power dynamic. Why do they do what they do? Because they have power to do it. You and I see then the humility of Christ because Christ came telling the same truth. Every stone in this place is going to lay, be laid waste. You're going to be scattered to the four winds. And they took him and they smote him. Did they not? Yes. This is a pattern. And this is why you don't have many faithful prophets. Because most of our prophets are controlled. Do you see this whole senate of false prophets that I share with you all right there? Raise your hand if you saw it. Y'all saw it? All those prophets? That's your media. That's your media. All of them are controlled. All of them are curated. They're all receiving the same data from the same place. And they are blanketing society with propaganda. That's your media. They're all false prophets governed by a lying spirit. And our churches, some of our churches are complicit with it. That's the word of the Lord to you today under point number two. Notice what it says under point two to move to point three, and I'm just going to touch on it. Under point number two, three subpoints. Their prophets are greedy dogs. We learned that in Isaiah, didn't we? They walk in utter darkness. They walk in utter darkness. Isaiah said it in Isaiah 8:20 to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. Y'all got that? If we're not preaching and teaching, rightly dividing this book, it's no light in us. And if we have a light, it's a false light. Did that make sense? All right. So notice what it goes on. I said, sub point, sub point C, the spirit of a true prophet. This is what we learned by Micaiah, did we not? Micaiah here is also going to be in the same kind of trouble that uh, Micaiah that we're dealing with in our text is in. Micaiah in our text, I don't want to go there now, is after, uh, after Zedekiah smites him, guess what they do? They throw him in a pit. They put him in a pit to kill him. They did the same thing to Jeremiah. They did the same thing to Amos. What does it mean to be thrown in a pit? It means to be silenced. You no longer have the visibility. You no longer have the platform. You no longer have the voice. See, as wild as yet those men were speaking, the people were hearing from God, weren't they? Now all of a sudden they're not hearing from God. And the only question we have to ask now as we go to our final point to close down is, how does that make you feel? How do you feel when you are in a protracted period of time not hearing faithful preaching? Y'all keeping up with me? Right. So this is called the drip, drip system of deception. The drip, drip system of deception is when you are spoon fed little by little lies to the point where you don't even recognize that you're not being told the salient truth that you need to hear. 
and it gets you when you don't even have the energy You've been demotivated not to do the hard work of doing the research that you need to do to get around these false narratives. Did y'all hear what I just stated? Right. The drip drip system is working on you when you ain't got but two channels you watch. The drip drip system is working on you and it's working on you massively and wonderfully when you actually buy what they say as the God honest truth. That's the drip drip system. Y'all got that? The drip drip system, you can know it's working on you when somebody comes from a different angle and it agitates you. When somebody says something different than the mainstream narrative, as you hear in this pulpit, it bothers you. Now, here's the reason it bothers you, because you're lazy. You're lazy. Like God has already told you to beware of men. He's told you to beware of false prophets. He's already told you not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is of the kingdom of God. He already told you the way is narrow and straight. He already told you to make your calling and election sure. He already told you to try the spirits, whether they be of God. Didn't he already tell us that? So if you're if you're sitting there lazy, being spoon fed by the massive media outlets, you're already trapped. See what I'm getting at? Very important. All right, let's go to our final point, and I'm just going to walk it through. Point number three. This is the hope that Micah, Micah, Micah gave to the children of Israel. Because you can look in chapter four at your own time, and, and God begins to tell Israel after he has destroyed their land, the Assyrians are coming in in 722 B.C. They will be done at about 609 B.C., gradually deporting the 10 northern tribes. In 587 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar is coming in to take Judah and Jerusalem. Y'all keeping up with me? 722 to 587 B.C., Israel is going to be fundamentally emptied out of the land. There will be a handful of vine dressers and a few folk here and a few folk there, including Jeremiah, stand back. Am I making some sense? They're going to be part of the diaspora. You, you Jews know, you Jewish brothers know what I'm talking about. Sent to the four winds. Don't tell me the Bible is not true. You didn't end up in Germany and Poland and Russia and different places just because your mom and daddy wanted to go on vacation. And this is true for our African culture, too, and true for so many other cultures, too, because the same model of tyranny and plunder and stealing resources and scattering people to the four winds has been going on in every country in the world up to now. Are y'all hearing me? And yeah, you got to go back and reevaluate your historical books. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Because if, if they have the narrative, as Plato said, he who controls the narrative tells the story. And today what you and I are battling is a total control of the narrative. The goal, because we are in the metaverse of technology where we are all subject to the internet and, 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 and Google and Facebook and Twitter and all of that, it's for them at the higher end to have so much control over what's being said because what the enemy hates is free information. Am I making some sense? That's why they killed him who is the Logos because he liberated information. He says, if you're my disciples, you're going to continue in my word and you're going to know the truth. And the truth is going to liberate you. 
That means you're going to be willing to dig through. That means you're going to be willing to discern. That means you're going to be willing to try every proposition, every argument, every ideology, every set of constructs, every worldview, particularly when it endorses and favors a wicked government. You can automatically know that it's probably wrong. And I'm talking the evangelical church. Listen to the promise that Micah gives and we're out of here. Point, uh, verse number one of chapter five. Listen to what he says. We're going to be out of here. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. Y'all see that? This is Micah speaking for God about Israel. Listen to me. Because Israel loves to make war. Israel loves to make war. Look at the verse. O daughter of troops, you love to make war. Israel loves to attach itself to more powerful nations and make war. It wanted to do it with Egypt. It was always running back to Egypt. Today, Egypt said, no, you're, no, you're, no, you're, no, you're. I'm trying to help y'all, okay? Ain't nothing new. And then it would re- be ready to run up to Assyria. Help us. And Isaiah said it in Isaiah chapter 11 and uh, 10 through 11. Assyria can't help you. Every time Israel tried to attach itself to other kingdoms, God intervened. Today, the kingdom that Israel has attached itself is America. And that's a longer conversation than I have because I'm already over time. But I'm showing you the pathology of nations for 2000 years. And this is why our nation is in trouble right now. Because it thinks it can go around the world and plunder and steal and sabotage and destroy and then lie about it in the media and dare you to even question it. But they don't want you questioning the taxes they take from you to keep resourcing that beast called the military. Are y'all hearing me? And so God says, okay, bring your troops together, oh daughter of troops. He has seized us about. He had laid siege against us. This is God now telling Israel, y'all getting seized now. The Assyrians have now encompassed them about. Watch this. Then it goes on to say, and they shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Who is the judge here? Christ. This is literally quoted by Matthew in in Matthew's gospel, chapter 26, when our Lord is walking to Calvary. What do they do? They smite him on the cheeks. They pull the hair from his beak, his face, his beard. This is fulfilling Isaiah chapter 50 as well. He gave his cheek to the smiters. Y'all hear me? Now, the smiters was Israel itself, Caiaphas, the high priest along with Herod, the wicked king, in conjunction with Pilate, the Roman centurion. And the Bible says, as I have taught you many times, on the same day that they snuffed out the light of the world, because his message was breaking through the propaganda, Herod and Pontius Pilate became friends. That's the secular system and the apostate religious system. Y'all keep it up with me. This your Bible. So you got Zionism in the secular sense and you got Zionism in the religious sense. And both of them are against Jesus. It hurts. 
It hurts because we've been trained for so many decades to have a Bible that does not exalt the one true prince of peace and hold the whole world to the standard of the redemption that's in Jesus and the grounds of God's favor on your life is the result of repentance and faith in him and the belief that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life and no one can come to the Father but by him and the recognition that Jesus is from eternity to eternity, that in his divine nature he is equal to God in every attribute that he assumed his human nature as a baby in the womb to be the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And he came into the world to bear our sins in his body on the cross to give us peace, a peace that passes understanding, a peace that raises us above politics, a peace that sets us on a solid rock, a peace that brings joy to the soul. A peace that opens the mind and the heart and gives you an understanding of all the schemes of the wicked one. Because he is the light of the world. He is the revelation of the invisible God. He is our wisdom. He's our redemption. He's our sanctification. He is our understanding. See, when you have Jesus, you can see through the fog of war. But it may cost you. Now, this is the one we're going to celebrate next week. So marvelous is this one. To take on our culpability, even in the womb. That's my message next week. How humble is this baby? And see, God already told us, except you humble yourself like a little child, you're not going to see the kingdom. You're not going to enter in. You're not going to understand the mysteries of redemption and you're not going to see the evil that's going on in this world. Opposition to their God, verse one, the son of David will come. How many times in your Bible did you read in the gospel of Matthew, Mark and Luke? Son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And that's the way Mary and Elizabeth celebrated him, right? And the magnificent in Luke chapter one and two, right? God has shown mercy to Israel in raising up us and anointed to sit on the throne of David, his son. That is Jesus the Christ. Yes, there's a Zion that we all believe in, but it's in glory. Did that make some sense? It's a kingdom that is not of this world. And its inhabitants are people from every nation, kindred, tribe, tongue, ethnic group, old, young, black, white, green, purple. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Christ makes us one in himself. So we we don't get trapped by distinctions of ethnicity. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. He goes on to say, even though we knew him in the flesh when he was here, we no longer acknowledge him in the flesh. Don't get trapped by the flesh. Flesh and blood shall not enter into the kingdom of God. Only he who is right with God through his son. May we exalt him next week in celebration of the most stupendous act 
that a divine God could do, assume our nature to take our place, a bunch of rotten, hell-bound sinners. (laughs) Pastor, that's not me. Then you can't be saved. 